。阿门。My experience、um, from very, very young、um, was one of going to church on a Sunday morning, as I'm sure I know that was some of your experience, and going to Sunday school. And whilst I was at Sunday school, can, is this echoey? It's a bit echoey, isn't it, Matt? Okay. Hear me? Okay, so whilst I was at Sunday school,、um, they would, every week they would tell us stories from the Bible. They would Um, tell us sort of stories from, from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I remember when I was young, you know, sort of five, six, seven, eight, I would often have many questions from some of these stories.、Um, you know, we would, they would talk us,、um, to us about Noah and Noah building this ark, and it was taking him 120 years, and animals coming aboard. And I would, not that I wouldn't believe it's true, but there would be questions I would have, and I wouldn't understand it and how that would all. It all work, and I wouldn't be able to compute what he really he built an ark by himself. He brought loads of animals on board, and then you'd hear the story of of Moses and、um, uh, splitting the sea, and the Israelites coming through the sea. And I, and I just I suppose I struggled to understand, and there was things that I didn't just quite get. And even just as they sort of move into the gospel and they start talking to us and teaching us around Jesus and and God and how they they were both the same person but different. I my mind. Didn't understand, and I'd have loads of questions around that. And this morning we are we're looking at a, a story that I think, well, when I read it, certainly this week and started to sort of study it a bit more, there was questions that I had that I just didn't understand, that I wasn't、uh, quite sure of. The questions of because we're looking at the Tower of Babel, and the questions things like, did they really think that this, the tower they're going to build was going to reach to the heavens? Were they? Were they stupid? Do they generally think that they could get a tower to the heavens to reach God? And in a minute, when we'll read it, we'll see there's a bit where it says that God came down to look at the tower, and it's almost like, hold on, surely God is everywhere? What do you mean He came down to look at it?、Uh, and then it says that He separates the people and He disperses all the people and confuses the language. And I start to think, isn't God into unity and togetherness? So there was loads of questions that I had, and maybe you have those same questions as well. And whilst I won't be, I guess, focusing on those questions directly, hopefully, we, as we move through this morning, we'll just bring a bit more clarity and understanding of that story. So we'll read that just shortly. But as you know, we're going through、uh, the book of Genesis. We've been doing that for a number of weeks. It's going on and on and on, and we're not even halfway through yet. But if you read Genesis, you'll, you'll know that it's well. Often they. The、scholars tend to split Genesis into two sections, so there'll be chapters one to eleven,、um, and really that's, I guess, that's the origins of of where we came from. It looks at、um, creation, it looks at、um, man, the birth that was rather、um, when God created man. It looks at sin,、uh, it looks at、um, the flood, and then God promised that He'll never do that again.、Uh, then it starts to look at obviously the promises. Um, and also the separation and where we get the different nations and the groups of people. So that's the first eleven、um, chapters of the book. And then we've got chapters twelve through to fifty, which really start to look at、uh, people, and we look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and really their walk with God and their experience of God and what God what God does through them. So this morning, like I said, we're looking at the Tower of Babel, and that really, I guess, bookends the first. Uh, the first eleven chapters. Okay, so Afwa's going to come and read that because she reads a little better than myself. So if you can come and read that for us, Afwa, that'd be great. Thank you. 
Um, Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shina and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of... Sorry, I don't read better than you, Ben. I'm not sure what you're on. <laughs> What you're on about. <laughs> so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left building the city, left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Thank you, Ethel. Okay, so over the last number of weeks, like we said, Phil's been um, taking us through Genesis. He's been looking at chapters sort of six all the way through to uh, nine, which has been the story of Noah, which is, I know that's been really good and has been really blessed us as he's gone through that, and we've sort of learned quite a bit from this man. And so obviously, if, if, if you know that we finished up in Genesis nine last week and we're now into Genesis 10, we obviously missed um, Genesis, sorry, we're now in Genesis 11, so we've obviously missed Genesis 10. Um, and I guess we've done that for a reason, but just an overview of that. That is really, um, it's, it's a story about the nations that descended from Noah. Uh, so we looked at the generations of his son. Um, this talk speaks about their lands, their clans, uh, their languages, and all the nations. So when we pick up in chapter 11, um, and it starts with the whole earth had one language, what we can really see is that the author is sort of going back um, and this story is not placed... Uh, am I? Am I okay? Is this a bit... Let's take it off. Yeah. We good? We good? Yep. It's like a rapper. Um, bear with me, because I, I tend to speak with my hands, so if that's down there and you can't hear me, just, just let me know. Okay, so this story is not, it's not placed chronologically, so, we, so instead of... Uh, going sort of through the normal order, the, the author is taking us back uh, to look at the clans, the languages, and the nations of the people. And at this point um, in the story, that the, there's one people group, there's one nation, um, it's not been uh, separated. And whilst it's only a, this is only a short story, it's only nine verses, it's significantly more important than its length suggests. We've got a, I guess we've got a unified people here using all their resources to establish a city. Um, which if you know your Bible, this is the complete opposite of what God commanded from the very beginning. They're, they've got their resources, they've got all their people, and they're gathering this city and trying to build this tower, where right at the beginning, God says what? He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And they're doing the very opposite. So straight away, there's some disobedience that we see from this story. But in the end, um, as we read, 
God does the very thing they didn't want them to do. Now, they didn't know about the languages, but they, they didn't want to be dispersed. But God done that due to their disobedience. He confused their language and he separated them all over the earth. And due to their disobedience, their sin, uh, their pride, God brought judgment on the people. He brought judgment. Now, don't worry, you're not going to get another sermon on judgment again. But whilst I was, sort of, I guess, sort of preparing and just sort of reading around this topic this week and reading around the story, um, there was, before I even sort of started to look at the commentaries, there was one verse which sort of just, I suppose, just jumped off me. I think the Holy Spirit just laid on my heart. So if you would, I don't have a PowerPoint, but if you want to come with me to verse 4, it says this. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And I think this verse, verse 4, really, I guess, captures the essence of this story, captures the heart of this, this story. Let us make a name for ourselves. See, God brought judgment on the people. He dispersed the people, separated the people because of the pride of the people. He judged them. He separated them because of their pride. It was clear from the story that they wanted to uh, make a name for themselves, that they wanted to uh, build this uh, city uh, and, with, and build this tower to the heavens. Now, whether they generally thought that the, the tower was actually going to reach to the heavens, we don't know. But what we do know is this wasn't about God. This building a city uh, wasn't about honoring him, wasn't about um, promoting his name, wasn't anything to do with worship. It was all about man. It was about man. It was about self. It was all about making a name for themselves. I know, I've said before that I work for a charity called City Gateway, um, and part of my role there is, my, my main role is to teach young people, and over the last few months I've had to do, um, I say had to do, I do actually have to do this teaching course. Um, I wasn't, I was quite reluctant to start off with. Um, it actually turns out it's been, it's been quite good, but I've been doing this teaching course, which I guess it's quite similar to a teacher training course, probably just not as intense. Um, it lasts over 18 months, and uh, one evening a week, uh, we go through different sort of how to teach and loads of other stuff that you have to do to become a qualified teacher. And part of it um, we have to do is we have to get observed. We have to, uh, a teacher or rather an assessor who comes in uh, to watch us teach, watch us uh, deliver to young people and give us information, give us feedback on how, on how we're getting on. And I don't know, if, has everyone heard of Ofsted? Yeah, I know, yeah, we have, okay. So the way that, the way that Ofsted work, um, they give you a one if you're outstanding, they give you a two if you're good, they give you a, if you get a number three, it means you're satisfactory, and if you're four, uh, you need to go and be a plumber or go and drive a bus or something like that. That's generally the way that Ofsted work, okay? Um, so obviously everyone wants, you want to get a one. Everyone is going to get a one um, when you're teaching, um, when you're trying to prepare, you're aiming uh, for a one, and in the past, I, I've got a two, which, is, which has actually been good, which has been good. Um, but I was sort of really sort of uh, pushed and encouraged to try and get a one. I've been there for a number of years now, and I've never got one. So, um, and obviously, it is good to get a one. So I was thinking, okay, let me try and do what I can to uh, try and get a one, do, you know, do extra preparation, read a bit more around what I'm teaching. Um, so I'd done that the week building up for it. But then I just started to think, why do I want to get a one so bad? Because I, I suppose the week leading up to it, I became quite focused. I need to get a one. I must get a one. And I became quite, I wouldn't say obsessed, but quite focused um, 
on getting a one. And I started to think, well, it's good to get a one. It's good to put on my CV to say that I'm an outstanding teacher, whatever that means. Um, but then I started to think, actually, there was something in me that, that wanted to get a one because, well, if I got a one, it's almost like people would know me as an outstanding teacher. People would think, oh, he's, he's the real deal. My man can teach. Yeah, so, so there's, I'm, I'm really prepping and thinking, let's get a one. And Okay, I actually did get a one, which was, which was good. Um, and straight after that, there was this, now no one knew this, and this is probably the first time I've shared it, but this, there was this probably air of arrogance and probably pride in me that started to raise up and think, yeah, I am better than them. I can teach better than them. And... It was so subtle, and I didn't even really see it coming, if I'm being honest. I thought, oh, that might happen. But straight afterwards, I started to almost maybe steer just conversations about, so are you getting observed this week? What are you going for? And trying to steer it. So what do you get? Well, I mean, I've got one, and you know, I was, <laughs> was really pleased with that. And now we, we, we laugh at that. But at the same time, that's pride is sin. And... God hates him. And actually, that's what sent his son to the cross. And we need to be careful to play that down because sometimes we can play pride down. So no, it's, not as, it's not as worse as that sin or it's not as worse as that sin. And I know personally, for, for me, it's probably been the biggest struggle when it comes to sin. There's been pride. There's been pride. Well, definitely, it's been the, the continual daily thing from God. God, help me not to promote myself in whatever which way I choose to do it and that is the, the thing that I definitely continue to struggle with and you'll know that pride often manifests itself in just a number of different ways it can like I've just said this whole sense of superiority this whole thing I'm, I'm better than you I'm I'm better than someone else I'm better than then I'm 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 more qualified I'm however way you want to word it but it's this whole sense of arrogance and pride and sense that I'm the top boy around here. And that's one way it can come out. It can come out in another way. It can come out in entitlement, thinking that I deserve something. I deserve that. I deserve that job. I deserve that role. I deserve this. I deserve that. And it can also come out in self-pity as well. It can come out thinking, why me? And this sense of feeling sorry for yourself, being hard on yourself and you know I remember when I was growing up and my mum will testify because she's sitting just there she used to say to me Daniel the world doesn't revolve around you you know <laughs> well you didn't you used to say that didn't you and I used to think it did and I sometimes still think it does um, and I think and if I'm being honest and if you're honest with yourself I think you probably think that as well at points. Because I think there's this something so deeply ingrained in us. There's this pride that's so, which is actually the Bible says is the root of all sin. It's so deeply ingrained in us that it comes out and we don't even realize it's coming out. This whole sense of trying to make much of ourselves, trying to promote ourselves, trying to um, make a name for ourselves. I mean, just this week, um, I was on the DLR to work. And I sat behind this couple. Now, they, they weren't a couple and they were together, but there was this, this male, this man and woman, they were, and they were talking, and they were talking around uh, football. One was from Manchester, one was from uh, Leeds, 
Um, so straight away, I was obviously judging them. Um, <laughs> I was, I'm being honest this morning. Um, so I'm, list, I'm listening to their conversation, and, um, you know, I think they're both, one was a big Manchester United fan, and I think, I think they just won the title the night before, um, and one was a Leeds fan. And um, <laughs> so they, they, were talk, they were talking around their experiences of, of going to football. And when I say they were talking, and when I say they're having a conversation, it was almost like they were talking at each other. I don't know if you've ever heard this type of conversation. You know, one was saying, oh, oh when we go to football, we do this, and my friends do this, and oh, this is what I do, and this is what I think is the best, and this. And the other person wouldn't respond to what they've said, but they would go, no, well, when I go, I do this, and I do the other person would be like, well, when we, and it was just, there wasn't arguing, but there was just this interesting dialect between these two people, and it's almost like, they weren't really that bothered in what each other was saying, but they were just interested in telling their story, telling what they've done, uh, promoting themselves, making a name for themselves. I'll give you another example. When I used to, um, when I used to work in the gym, so a number of years ago, um, as a personal trainer, me and my um, friend, we used to have, we used to really sort of be quite friendly with a guy who used to come in called Dave, and he used to. Um, and I think some of you might be able to relate to this story in a minute. He used to just, um, we used to chat to him normally just about gym stuff, life, going out, those types of things. And um, you'd have a conversation with him. And as soon as you could finish, he would say, oh, you know, I've done that. <laughs> and you're, oh, okay. And then you'd say, oh, I'm going there. Yeah, I'm, I've been there. It's great. You, you need to go there. You need to go there. You need to go there. And then you say, oh, this happened to me. Did that happen to me as well? And in the end, we gave him the nickname called Dave Done It. Because everything you said to him, my man had done. And not only done it, he'd done it better than you. He'd been there before you. He was going where you were, the, you were you being. And this this whole thing around, he'd done it. And he'd bought the T-shirt. He'd made his own T-shirt. He was going to give you another T-shirt. And it was just this whole thing. And it was just, every time you spoke to him, he wanted to promote himself, to make a name for himself. Um, hence the name, we called him Dave Done It. Not to his face. Um, not because we were scared of him, but just, it was just probably wasn't appropriate. And I think this whole, I guess this whole thing around um, making, a name for, uh, well, make, making a name for ourselves and promoting ourselves is, is probably more obvious in the world than it is in the church. This whole thing around self-promotion. Um, you know, you think of, think of celebrities. They're often just quite into themselves and wanting to promote themselves and make much of themselves and who they are and what they've done and what they're going to do. Um, yeah, just because it's more obvious in the world, it doesn't mean it's not in the church. It doesn't mean it's not in the church. You know what? It just looks a little bit different. It just looks a little bit different. See, Christians can and often are just as full of pride as people outside of the church. It just looks different, even sometimes more so. Because it just looks a little bit different because it's not a good experience and it's not, it doesn't look good if, if you're constantly at church talking about yourselves or promoting yourselves or telling people what you've done. It doesn't look good at church, does it? It just maybe draws attention to us or, um, yeah, it's just not a good look to be into yourself all the time. So what we tend to do, self-included, we... To quote John Piper, we cloak things in humility. We cloak things in humility. But really, there's no, there's no genuine humility there at all. It's just pride 
dressed up as humility. There's this whole thing of trying to make a name for ourselves in such a subtle way that it looks like, sounds like, smells like, tastes like humility, but it's not, it's just pride. It's just pride. I know a number of you on, on Twitter, I'm, I'm on Twitter, been there for a number of years, and every, every now and then I'll see a, um, you know, I'll, I'll see a tweet, I mean, I tend to follow mainly pastors or authors or Christ, Christian people, that's tend, generally who I tend to follow, and I'll often see uh, tweets by well-known pastors, authors, speakers, writers, and they'll say something like this, they'll, it will say, privileged and humbled to be speaking at this event with 20,000 people and so-and-so, and they'll just drop a few names. And now listen, I'm not, I'm not here to judge the state of their heart what when they're actually writing that tweet, but it doesn't sound, it doesn't look like humility when I see things like that. And if I'm being honest, I've, I've been guilty of that, not that I've ever spoke with 60,000 people or with anyone famous like that, but just in the way that I write my tweets, and even the way that we use Facebook and social uh, media, I think we need to be really careful in how, in how we say and what we say, and you know, every time, but generally just check our motives and actually, okay, why am I writing this? Why am I saying this? Is it to build an edifier or is it to self-promote? Because I think often on Twitter, even in the Christian world, that, that is actually sometimes ca- what can be going on. Even just a few weeks ago, I was, um, I've been doing this course, leadership training, which has been going on for years now, like four years. And um, I was chatting to this well-known uh, Christian pastor and writer, speaker, and I just said to him in the break, I said, how come, so-and-so, how, how come you've only just got on Twitter? Because I thought you'd, be, you'd been on it, you're quite with it and things. How come you've just got on it? And he said, well, if I'm being honest, the, the reason I'm, it took me so long to get on Twitter is the reason I'm actually now coming off of it. It's because of pride. It's because daily I'd be checking to see who's retweeting my tweets, who's follow, how many followers I have. Um, I mean, he says something like, you know, are you more concerned about getting followers on Twitter or making followers of Jesus? And I was like, oh, and that hit me right there. Another e- example, um, a bit closer to home, um, so for myself, just been speaking and preaching just for a, number, a couple of years now and still sort of learning how to do it. So often, when you're a new preacher, what you tend to do is try to get feedback from people and just try and see how was that, how was the structure, how was my delivery, how was the content. Um, and I don't do it all the time, but initially I would tend to get feedback um, from maybe Owen or Phil or if I want really critical feedback, I'll ask Shah. Um, um, and there'll be some times when I think, you know, I think it's probably going okay today. So I'll ask feedback. And there's been times where they've said, and I've said, be honest, be honest. And they've, they're telling me the things that may be improving. If I'm being honest, I'm like, okay, now, now tell me the good stuff. <laughs> tell me the good stuff. Now, come on, baby, give me it to me. And there's this whole sense of, and even if I'm being honest, even just a number, couple of weeks ago when I spoke last, um, you know, a number of you were really kind to me, the things you said. But afterwards, Pauline said to me, um, Pauline said to me, um, Dan, that was, that was great. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. She said, no, and then she went on a bit. She said, did you struggle with pride? Because if you will, I probably won't keep telling you. I won't go on. And I was like, yeah, that's no, fine. You can probably stop this. I do struggle with pride. But everything inside of me was like, 
Come on, Pauline, tell me more. Come on, give it to me more. Come on, come on, come on. This whole sense of wanting to, to elevate myself and promote myself and um, feel good about myself. And like I said, it's, it's just as much in the church than it is in the world, if not more so. It just looks different, guys. So why is that? Why, why is there something that's so deeply ingrained in us? Why is there something um, in us that, that wants to make a name for ourselves, whether obvious or not so obvious? What is there? Because it's there. I think there are a number of reasons. I think that we just want to be liked. I think that we want to be liked, which is nothing wrong with that. I think that we want to gain a sense of uh, significance amongst our peers, in the church, friends, family. I think we want um, the respect of others. I think we want people to respect us, to feel accepted. Or sometimes it's maybe trying to prove something to others, maybe to ourselves or even to someone else. But I think underpinning all that is this sense that I just want to feel loved. I just want to feel loved. And I think that's probably the, the deep cry of every human heart that's ever lived. I just want to be loved. Whether you express that or not, I think that is there in every single one of us. But good news, because the Bible says that you are loved. The Bible says that you are accepted, uh, that you're liked. God likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. And that you do actually do have significance. See, the whole time that you're trying to make a name for yourself, trying to promote yourself, trying to prove yourself, uh, this is what God says to you, and this is what he calls you. He calls you holy, spotless, chosen, righteous, blameless, beloved, just, blessed, his child, mine, faultless, friend, heirs of the promise, mighty ones, sons and daughters, saints, and forgiven, to name but a few, to name but a few. And you get those names all because of what Jesus done on the cross. So you don't have to strive anymore. Uh, you don't have to try to make a, a name for yourself. You don't have to try and cover it or cloak it uh, with humility. See, before anything else, before anyone else, you have a name, um, a name that you, that you could only wish for or hope for, but actually it is your name, a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, forgiven. And when you get that that is now your name, that changes everything. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't uh, pursue certain things or even, even talk about yourself sometimes. It's just, it's just not about your name anymore. It's just not about your name anymore. It's about his name. It's about promoting his name. It's about worshipping his name and making much of his name and honouring his name and his renown. It's about the name of Jesus. It's about the name of Jesus. See, when you read through the scriptures, when you read through the gospel, uh, especially in John's gospel, you see that Actually, Jesus the only person who ever had the right to promote his own name. He was the only person uh, that could ever make much of his name, who could ever genuinely say that I am the guy. 
No, he, he didn't say it like that, but he's the only one who had the right to say that his name was the name that was above every other name. And throughout his time on earth, especially, like I say, in John's Gospel, he points people to himself. He calls him, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am, I am, I am. And he calls us as his church to do the same, not to make a name for ourselves, not to even make a name for Beacon, but continually point people to him. See, it's about his name, not ours. John 3.30 says, he must increase, we must decrease. Now, I don't think that's, it's not easy to die to self, but with the help of the Spirit, it's possible, and we must be actively pursuing that. So when we come, let's come back to the story. We see that actually that's not what's going on here in the story at all. The guys, are, they're trying to build this city and the tower, not to honor God, but for self. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And anything that they propose to do will now be impossible will not be impossible for them. And it's the beginning of this verse which I love because we have this image of, of God coming down uh, from heaven to look at this town. And I don't know how this works with his omnipotence and his omnipresence, the fact that he sees all things and that he's everywhere. The Bible says that nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Yet he says he came down. So we take that as that he came down. Whatever that means, he came down and you've got this image of, of God coming down from heaven looking for this tower and just sort of... Oh, there, no, that's a grain of sand. That's a rock. It's almost like, oh, there it is. That's the tower they're trying to build to reach the heavens. And I love it because this, this is quite sobering and quite humbling because there's this clear distinction between... God and man, the smallness and the insignificance of this city and tower before God because God's not impressed with a tower. <laughs> However, whatever it looks like, he's not impressed with a tower. He made heaven and earth. How are you going to build a tower to impress him? <laughs> You're not. So for them, but for them, building this city and building this tower was, would have been the height of their technology in the day because we read that they were gathering stones, gathering bricks. That was their height of their technology to build this city and to build this tower. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're often, as mere humans, we're often impressed uh, with the technological advances of our day. We're often impressed with them, more than we are sometimes with the things of God. Now, we, we want to acknowledge and respect, and there's a right place because it's all a common grace gift from him anyway, you know, the, the latest technology, phones, tablets, cars, the shard. You know what I mean? We want to, it's amazing what man can do, but it is all from him anyway. So we need just to be careful that, that we don't get caught up and obsessed with the technological advances of our day and the, the things that man is doing at the expense of having God right at the very center. However, God is concerned by the building of the tower. And he, sees, he says it sees this as the beginning of something has a huge potential. Verse 6 says, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. See, God knows the potential of man. He knows the potential of man's heart, whether it's for good 
or whether it's for evil. After all, he's the creator, so he knows us. And we can just see when, e- when evil comes together in the heart of man, there's nothing but destruction. You just think, a couple of years ago, you look at the London riots. There was nothing good there. There was just complete evil coming together, and there was utter destruction in an instant. So God sees what man may do if he doesn't intervene. So he intervenes, not because he's worried or because there's some sort of rival there. No, no, he intervenes because he's their creator and he's their father and he has concern for his children. Verse 8 says, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of of all the earth. And it's important to recognize that this didn't catch God off guard. This separation wasn't an afterthought for an unforeseen sin by God. No way. God saw this from the very beginning. God planned this even from the very beginning. It's, it was always part of his sovereign plan before the foundations of the world to do that. That was part of his plan to separate the people. It wasn't an afterthought from God. Nothing ever catches God off guard. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel? It's not the wonder and the, the depth and the, the, amazing, the amazing things of the gospel. The fact that he saw your sin, he saw my sin before, yet he still loved you and he still sent his son to die for you. That's the wonder of the gospel. So he saw the sin of Babel beforehand and he brings judgment, he confuses the language and he separates them over all the face of the earth. So why does he do that? Why does God do that? Why does God separate the people when... Uh, God, just looking at the Trinity, God is one for unity and community and togetherness. Yet his judgment is one of separation for this reason. The glory of his name. The glory of his name. You see, there's something more powerful when Christ returns at the end, which he will, and gathers all people, groups, all languages, being able to lay claim with authority and power on them. His glory will shine even the more brighter then if we all spoke the same language, if we all looked the same, and he just took us that way. See, I believe it demonstrates the power of the gospel. For God to break in on every language, people, group, and culture requires a greater God than it does to break in on a single culture, on a single language, and a single people group. It shows the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for one place and one people, but for all people everywhere. You read in Colossians, it says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And it is. It glorifies God more if it was, than if it was just bearing fruit and growing in one place. But actually, it's bearing fruit and growing all over the world, not just here. See, in the beginning of the Bible, we see the separation of this story of the people groups and the, the changing of the languages. But then at the cross, Jesus makes it possible for all people groups regardless of culture, language, background, to come together. And that's the power of the cross. See, nothing else brings people together like the cross does. If you just look around, everyone is different here. And the thing that has brought us together, the thing that brings unity and will continue to bring unity as we grow, will be the cross. Nothing else will be the cross. See, although he scattered the people, it was always his sovereign plan to bring us back together through the cross. And at the end of the Bible, it shows us this wonderful picture 
of peoples and languages gathered around the throne of God. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, language, and people, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen just showing us that it was, that it is, that it always be about his name and not ours. Can we just stand? If you can just, let's just close your eyes maybe. I want us just to, just to worship for a bit. Just, we've got just a little bit of time just to just focus on God and maybe even just think of that picture. Because you're there, you're in it. One day we will all be gathered around his throne. If you're a Christian here this morning, you will gather around his throne and worship him. Maybe... Maybe start to thank him for that. Maybe tell him how long you long for that. So let's just spend some time just just worshiping God. The Holy Spirit is here. He hasn't left us.
focusing on Jesus, in some ways it's a very it's a very appropriate song to finish on because it's talking about giving yourself to him and it's about surrendering yourself to him again and I, I, one thing that Dan talked about that he, he quoted John Piper talking about pride being dressed up or cloaked in humility and I realized that 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 pride pride is not something that comes with age you're not more proud the older you get not necessarily. You don't, you don't just grow with, oh, I'm getting older. I've been. Pride comes with being human. You, you, can be pr- you can be proud at a very young age. You don't need to be old to be proud. You just need to be human. And you just need to have not had that check in your spirit that only the Holy Spirit brings that takes you away from pride. It's only the Holy Spirit that really that really impacts your attitude to pride. Nothing else will do it. Nothing else will affect pride in your life. Things will fuel it, but nothing will cause you to, to, to genuinely become humble and to genuinely come to that place of surrender to Him apart from Him. So you either need to come to him and bring yourself to him again and acknowledge the pride in your heart or the pride in your heart will just continue to grow because it, it, nothing, else, nothing else curbs it. Even when we go through difficult stuff in our life, it doesn't always curb pride in our hearts because we can excuse stuff. We excuse ourselves. I don't know whether you do that. I can sometimes do that. I've heard myself maybe when my girls or Pauline have brought something to me I can rationalise and justify my actions which means I no longer look at my actions and think to myself I need to change I don't think that because I've justified that and, and pride is the, is the it's the biggest sin and it's the deepest sin and it was the first sin Adam and Eve it was pride and then a few chapters later the Tower of Babel it's pride And then we understand the story of the gospel that the very thing that Jesus did was he undercut pride, didn't he? Because he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He wasn't prepared to be proud. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. The very, very opposite of pride. The gospel is the very opposite of pride. So if the gospel is at work in your life, pride in you should be being challenged all the time. All the time. Because you submit yourself to the gospel. And so this morning there's an opportunity for you just to submit yourself again to the gospel. To the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel does the, it undercuts pride at the very heart. The Holy Spirit challenges pride at the very heart. Nothing else does it. You're proud not because you're bright or clever or beautiful or anything like that. You're proud because you're human. Pride is a human condition. That human condition is only dealt with when you bring it to the cross. It's a sin that lives on you and lives on me. So I'm just going to pray and maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to ask God to help you. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe you need to remind yourself. Please don't justify yourself. Please don't rationalize yourself. Please don't make the excuse that, oh, it didn't speak to me because of this. Oh, he's made that comment or this comment. If you want to walk with God... You need, to be, you need to humble yourself to do that. 
You don't walk yourself, walk with God by justifying yourself. He did the justifying at the cross. He justified you. So let's just pray, and then we're going to close. This is between you and God, between me and God. It's a constant thing that we need to do. And so, Father, this morning we just come to you. We are grateful, Father, that you have been present, Lord. We, we are so grateful that you have been here, that you have fulfilled your promise again by being present by your Spirit. And we thank you that we, you've reminded us again of things that prevent us from walking closely with you, things that prevent us from growing in you. And we recognize pride as one of those. I recognize pride as one of those in my life. And so I pray for myself and I pray for us as a community of believers. Father, I pray that you will come by your Spirit and you will cause people who need to repent to repent of pride. You will cause people who need to turn around to turn around from pride. You'll cause people who need to surrender to surrender. And Father, sometimes that means we actually need to do something. I pray that those who need to do something will do it. Lord, I do pray against the justification and the rationalization which clever people can bring. And it holds away, it holds on the outside our issues, our stuff. We don't bring it in. Father, I pray you would teach us what it means to surrender again. Let's just sing that song once more and then we'll finish. Lord, I give you my heart. It, it, it's a song that we sing regularly and we know it regularly and we sing it without thinking. But if you sing it seriously, it, cut, it, it, it undercuts pride. It undercuts the independence. It undercuts it's all about me. The world revolves around me. We think that. I think that at times. It undercuts it. So let's let's sing it with that in mind, that we are wanting to surrender ourselves. We are wanting to recognize God can make more of my life than I can. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it does mean it's the best place for me when God makes it my life. So let's just sing that together. While I was talking, I, I just remembered something I read this morning which has just come afresh to me and it was it's where in Thessalonians Paul says to Timothy to, to the to the church in Thessalonica he says give thanks in all things for this is the will of God for you Do you know giving thanks is a really good way of avoiding pride in your life because when you're tempted to be proud about something you've achieved and it might be something really good actually you turn it around and you say thank you thanks in all things for this is the will of